following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. And you'll see a book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's called Wisdom Literature. We are in Proverbs chapter 6. And as I said last week, if you can't find a book of the Bible, you just use your table of contents. That's fine. Also, a couple of good apps to use. The ESV uh, version of the Bible, the English Standard Version, has a great app for you. Um, it's just the Bible. Or you can use uversion.com. They have some study aids and stuff like that in there too as well. Um, <clears throat> so, good stuff. Man, we are just so excited to be um, a part of Community Gospel and all that is going on. You guys are doing awesome. Bethany and I just want to say how much we love you and we care about you as a church. I don't know if you noticed, but take a look around. Um, there's a lot of people here this morning, and it's not a baptism Sunday, which is crazy. Uh, I've also had numerous conversations with people in our community who have just tooted your horn and said, Man, Jordan, what is going on at your church? And I said, It's all Jesus all the time. So uh, keep it up. Awesome, awesome, awesome to see. We are in Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to look at verses uh, 16, 17, 18, and 19. John was driving home late one night when he picked up a hitchhiker. As they rode along, he began to be a little suspicious of his passenger. John checked to see if his wallet was safe in his pocket of his coat that was on the seat between them, but it wasn't there. Interesting. So he slams on the brakes, orders the hitchhiker out, and said, Hand over my wallet immediately. And the frightened hitchhiker handed over a billfold, and John drove off. He arrived safely at home. He started to tell his wife about the experience, but she interrupted him, saying, Before I forget, John, do you know that you left your wallet at home this morning? (laughs) That will make sense in just a second, I promise. Proverbs outlines six... six Crooked action seven, which is an abomination. Look at scripture with me for just a second. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him, says 16. We've looked at a lot of these together corporately as a church. Um, If you missed any of the messages, you can go on communitygospelchurch.com and click media, and you'll see some of these things that are there. Haughty eyes, which we would call pride. A lying tongue, we spent two weeks on that. Hands that shed innocent blood. We talked about um, just the brevity of life and how awesome it is that God gives us life. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. And then here we are, a false witness who breathes out lies. That's John's problem. (laughs) There was a false witness, right, that was present in his situation. He had a testimony against somebody, and it wasn't true. Here we see these six acts that the Lord hates, the last one being abomination or an outrage. And it's such a big deal that what we're going to do is next week, Dr. John Lillis is going to be here, and then we'll pick up and conclude our, ser- our series uh, that week um, just to kind of give us a little bit of a break. The purpose of understanding Proverbs chapter 6 is huge, and it is critical Because it is to gain an understanding of what gets under God's skin. Did you even know as a Christian that there are some things that we do as the people of God that gets underneath God's skin, drives him nuts, if you would? And these are 
them. It's a warning for us as a congregation, individually and corporately, that we don't do these things. And so what it says is we have to strive and honor the Lord, and we have to know that God alone, like Job in the Old Testament, has the ability to save us from participating and practicing these things. It's not legalism that we're seeking here. It's an attitude that we have. Because God is after your heart, and he wants your attitude and your motives to be pure. Because when your attitude and your motives are pure, your actions will follow. And so here, God tells Job, and he tells us too as well, I will deliver you from those six troubles, and in seven no evil shall touch you. So keep in mind this morning that we seek to understand these things because we want to honor the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as our self. And we know that this is important because Christian life comes down to two things, evangelizing or sharing the gospel to those who are lost and building up or encouraging those who are already saved. That's the purpose of the church, is that we would build one another up. And so here we get into the text about a false witness that breathes out lies. The first question that I had approaching this text is, what is a false witness that breathes out lies? Let's define it. Number one, if you're taking notes with me this morning, this is a false witness defined. A false witness who breathes out lies is exactly what we would think it is. It's a liar, somebody who lies. One who breathes or bears false witness does two things. First, it seeks to spread untrue information about others. It tears down other people. It disrespects other people. If we were to look at Scripture in its proper context, we would see that in the text, it goes back and points back right there into one of those things that God hates. And that is a heart that beats against the Lord. It tears down, it disrespects, and the mouth is there too as well. Two, it misrepresents or perverts the truth about God and his word. Now, notice, as we're studying scripture together, the first five things God hates in Proverbs 6 deal with the parts of your body, the external. Now the writer's going to turn, he's going to focus on in here. He's going to get personal with you. He's going to say, let's really look in the mirror and let's take it past that look in the mirror and let's put you underneath an examination x-ray table and see what's in your heart. So here he's he's going to talk about what's going on inside. The whole of a man, his or her intentions. The one who breathes out lies is one who willingly spreads disharmony about God, his bride, the church, and other people. Look at some examples. Three examples of false witnesses from the Old and the New Testament, and then three truths that we get from those three. Number one, the first thing that we know of a false witness is that being Satan, Satan being the ultimate false witness. The Bible tells us that Satan, or the devil, in John chapter 8, verse 44, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding on to the truth, for there is no truth in him. All lies come from the devil. He is the bearer of lies. He was the one at the very beginning that deceived man, and he looked at him and he said, this is what you could be, and man bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. He said he bought into the lie that Satan presented to him. And so what we see here is there is truth that when we lie, we are accomplishing the devil's work. 
I mean, a lot of us in church would look at it and we would say, we're here to accomplish God's work and do God's will, and that's good and true. But do you know when you lie, you accomplish the devil's work? Even the littlest lie or the biggest lie is all an accomplishment of the devil's work. He would look at it and he would say thank you every time that you tell a fib. Number two, the second example of a false witness is outlined. <laughs> we had a little bit of a mistake. Becky and I were talking about this before church started. She said, Jordan, you have three examples of false witnesses. She said, Satan's the first one. And then the outline was a little bit funky because the second one just said the law. And the third one, which I'll give you beforehand, was Jesus. And she said, I don't think Jesus is false or that's what you're going for here today. And I was like, oh, good catch. So put this in your outline. Number two should be outlined in the law specifically the ninth commandment, Exodus chapter 20. These passages speak mainly about lying in the court of law. In the Old Testament, when one spoke falsely against another, it was not only deceitful, but it ruined the reputation of somebody else. If the person lying was found out in the Old Testament, they purged him or they kicked out the liar, showing no pity for him. That's where you get a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's what that's that the Old Testament pounds repeatedly. Is if somebody lied in the Old Testament, they would look at it and say, an eye for an eye, a life for a life. Whatever you lied about, you should have to bear on your own shoulders too as well. The community would hear of this liar, be fearful to lie about others. It would strike a great almost ramification in all of the people, and they would say, we, don't, we, we shouldn't lie because look what happened to Ted. Can you imagine if we did that today? I mean, we'd have a bunch of people out in the parking lot. <laughs> Truth number two. When we lie, we bring destruction upon ourselves. We put ourselves in situations and circumstances that we don't need to put ourselves in. We bring destruction upon ourselves when we lie. We accomplish the devil's work when we lie. I mean, we probably never even thought about that. Jordan, I just told a one little white lie. Yeah, but it was the devil's work. You're accomplishing the devil's work, and you're bringing destruction upon yourself. Three, as told by Jesus, the example of false witnesses. No one knew false witnesses better than Jesus, especially at his time of trial. In Matthew 26, 59. The chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus. They might put him to death. Can you imagine being Jesus in that moment, that situation, that circumstance? <laughs> He's the creator of the Old Testament. He looks at it, and all these people are against him, and they're adamantly opposed to him. They say, let's kill this Messiah. We'll speak falsely about him. We'll bear false witness about the things that he has done. And you know what? If you're doing the work of the Lord, that might happen to you. Some people might want your destruction. But the truth comes out. Truth number three, when we lie, we wound God's work from being done. We wound God's work from being done. It's almost like we put up a willing barrier between us and our creator, his work and his will. And we say, you know what, God? I don't think that your ways are better than my ways. And when we lie, we accomplish the work of the devil, bring destruction on ourselves, and prevent God's work from being done. True to, two truths about false witnesses. Watch this. The Bible tells us very specifically that punishment is coming for those who do this specific thing. That punishment is coming. Proverbs says false witnesses will be punished by God. It puts punishments on false witness. Proverbs 19.5. Beyond human, human understanding. Now, 
this goes into the gospel. Because a lot of us would sit here and we would say, Jordan, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not a liar. I haven't lied for a while. It's been a season. There's been a, a, a time of grace, if you will. Now, that's not true. Because all have fallen short of the glory in God. Because all have fallen short of the glory of God, all deserve the wrath of God. All of us have gone astray. Everybody's lied about something. You've cheated on something. You've stole something, whatever the case may be. All of us have done something to miss God's standard. And so what happens is we've welcomed, according to Romans chapter 3 and 4, the punishment or the wrath of God amongst ourselves. The action is there a refusal to associate. Because if we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, if we have said, God, I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that you alone are Lord, we have said that your way is better than my way, and what I want to do is I want to follow after your way, so I don't want to lie or cheat or steal or miss anything anymore because I know your plans are better than my plans, and the Bible specifically tells us then you disassociate with the people who are liars because they're accomplishing the work of the devil, because they're putting up barriers between themselves and God. They're bringing destructions on themselves. And so the evaluation for you here this morning, if you've gotten right with God and you're a believer and you're a Christian, is evaluate who's in your circle of friends. I mean, are these people who are pointing you back to God and His grace, or are these people who are sowing discord or sowing a false witness and bringing destruction on them, and in turn will bring destruction on you? I mean, if Jesus was here, he'd say, evaluate, 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 evaluate. Where am I at? Who do I allow to input into my life? And he says, ultimately, you refuse to associate with a false witness or a liar. And you should tell them why you refuse to associate with them. Man, that's going to go good for you this, this afternoon. <laughs> Hey, brother, I just want to let you know, Pastor Jordan was talking this morning. He was talking about liars. I think you're a liar, and we can't be friends anymore. Do it a little bit more tactfully than that, okay? <clears throat> Two, death is coming. While it's unusual to think about, those who have a dire desire to spread untrue information and misrepresent the truth about God welcome their eternal death as well. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 28, they will perish. So the action is for us as Christians to stand guard and be aware that this exists. First Peter tells you, Christian, if you have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, he says that you, Christian, you stand guard, be alert, and sober-minded. Sober-minded is another way to embrace the truth that is within you with a clear conscience that God has given to you. Because your enemy, who is the chief of liars, he prowls around to deceive you and trick you like a roaring lion. He wants to devour you. Man, there is nothing more that Satan would want than you to do this specific thing right here and hang out with people who do that specific thing. So if that's the definition, how do we cure it? Because that, to me, I look at it and I go, oh, what do I do? Okay, I, I'm a liar. I got that. Checked it. Accepted the gospel. Good. Got some people in my life that maybe I need to get rid of or just tell them why, you know, we can't hang out as much as we used to hang out. I mean, what else is there? There's got to be something else when it comes to this false witness. Okay, watch. Number two, a false witness that is cured. We can stand guard and refuse to associate with false witnesses 
What do we do if we have spread in untrue information about others or distorted God's truth in the word? Which we all have. Number one, repent. So many of us find ourselves in situations and circumstances that are outside of God's word and God's will, and we throw in the towel. It is not uncommon for me to meet a Christian who is deflated. The reason that Christian is deflated is because what they have done is they've thrown in the towel. And just said, you know what, Jordan? Man, I'm just, I'm just going to wrap it up. And what happens is us as Christians, we've forgotten about God and his grace and the fact that it is an eternal grace that is given repeatedly to us in every single situation that we encounter. And it is our job, while we have confessed and believed Jesus Christ as Messiah and we are children of the Most High God, the Bible actually specifically says you are sons and daughters of the Most High God, Right? You are kings and queens in the, in the kingdom of God when you've confessed and believed Jesus Christ as Messiah. You still have this battle against this thing called the flesh. It clings to me, Paul says. It hangs on me, Paul says. This, this, uh, this like wardrobe is on me and I can't, I can't get it off. What do I do? I feel like I'm in a fight. And he says, that's exactly what you're in. And the first defense in your fight against the flesh is to repent. God being a God of truth desperately wants us to love his word, which is truth, hate lies and dishonesty. You repent. Deuteronomy 24 or 32. God is perfect. His ways are justice, righteous and upright is he. He endures through all generations. Every word of God proves true. The people in the Old Testament knew it. The people in the New Testament knew it. The new church knows it. It's my job in the morning to repent and to look at God and say, God, I want to do your work. I want to do your will this morning. Would you help me to do that? I'm going to repent of myself, and I'm going to embrace what it means to follow after you. There's a little thing in my bathroom. It's in my shower. i got two little things. It's right up, right up above my shower. I laminated it because a couple of them got wet because it's the shower, obviously. It says, I confess the gospel to be true. I embrace the gospel of the, as the standard of my life, and I willingly submit to it today. Every single day. I got to get a shower every day. It reminds me one thing. I got to get a shower too. It reminds me of where my perspective should be. Should it be on myself or should it be on my Savior? The way that we put our perspective off of ourself and onto our Savior is repenting. God loves it. When we repent, We welcome salvation, that's the first repentance, ultimately, confess and believe, and sanctification, ongoing righteousness, because God wants to make you holy, distinct, different than everybody else in the whole entire world. I will make you a people, the Bible says, set apart to do my work and my will. We repent. Two, you seek to be a trustworthy person. There is nothing better in this world than a man or a woman of integrity, It takes 10 years to build up your integrity and two seconds to destroy it. Seek to be trustworthy. As Christians, our every word should be trustworthy as we're reflections of God and the truth of his word. When you go walking around in the community, you are a reflection of this word. When you are in your home and nobody else sees what you do and you find yourself in front of a computer screen or wherever you find yourself at, you are a reflection of this word. 
If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart Jesus Christ is Lord, you have lost your earthly last name and picked up a new last name. And that is Christian. You are a reflection of this word. Karina and I just had a conversation about this the other day. And we were talking, and I said this last week, about the importance of her last name. Because her reputation is huge. She's in school now. And the way that she acts in school is directly representation of the way that I act at home. So if she acts up at school, they look at it and they go, where is she getting this from? And it's a no-brainer. She gets it from her mom. (laughs) But that's not true. The Bible says the father is the head of the household. She's a reflection of her dad. You are a reflection of your father, your heavenly father, when you have confessed and believed that Jesus Christ is Lord. So your job is to seek to be trustworthy. Every word should be trustworthy. Your reflections of God, his truth, his word, and the gospel. Look at what Jesus says, Matthew 5, 33. I say to you, do not swear or lie at all. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Is that you? Is your yes, yes, and your no, no? I mean, where are you at? Is this you? Are you trustworthy? If I were to go up and ask your three closest friends, or maybe your three family members that you don't like very much, and I would say, hey, what makes up Jordan? What, what do you think about when you think about Jordan? If the tip of their tongue is not screaming out Jesus Christ in his word, then we got to talk about some stuff. Are we trustworthy? Are we reflecting God properly in the truths of his word? I want to be trustworthy. And you're going to fail. <laughs> it's going to happen. You're going to mess up. There's going to be mistakes in your life. But it's not how many times we fail. It's how we get up after we fall. Three, seek to be honest. The Bible clearly says we're called to speak the truth in love. And as we practice, we use tact and kindness and consideration. I love this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. You then, as new creatures, you put away lying. Each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, what this doesn't mean is that you just go blurting out everything that you think, right? You've got to be careful about this stuff. You have to seek to be honest. When we are honest, we are giving another an opportunity to first and foremost receive the gospel, Right? The first call of the Christian life is we speak the truth and we are honest about what the gospel is. Listen, Ron, I understand. You got some stuff in your life. You're a great friend of mine. I get it. You know, there's some things that you said to me that I have uh, been led to believe that where you're sitting at right now in this moment, like you're not always being completely honest. There's some dishonesty with some things that you've said. Now, I want to keep you in my circle, but in order to kind of keep you there and have you as somebody who's going to be like a mutual accountability, what I want to do is I want to communicate to you clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because listen, you can be saved if you confess your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. It says the old is is gone, the new has come. When's the last time you eliminated something in your life and communicated the reason for that leaving or letting go with the gospel of Jesus Christ? People's eyes will light up. 
I mean, they would look at you and they'll go, what? Because that's the truth. I'm trying to do some things in my life that would bring honor and glory to God. And our relationship right now just doesn't bring honor and glory to God. It's just not there. Because of the fact that there's some false witness that has been breathed out here. And what I want to do is I want to get on the same page and I want to make sure we both understand the gospel and go from there. I mean, how many times have you done that? How many times have we done that? We give them, first of all, the opportunity to receive the gospel. And secondly, when we encourage, it always goes back to the cross. I don't know how many times I've sat down with a brother or sister in Christ who's been just completely discouraged and deflated because of some sin in their life, and some Christian has just bulldozed them over the head with the thing that they have been doing. Do you think God loves that? Do you think God likes that? Do you think God is on that page? Whoa, 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 whoa. The best thing about having a good father is the fact that he gives grace. So let's look at the fact that God is maybe using this situation and circumstance to teach you how you should act later down the road. So what is God teaching you right now? What is the catalyst of this is where I was off, and because this is where I was off, what is the catalyst for this is where now I need to be? Because every mistake that you've made, everything that you've done, everything that you've, like, happened in your life is always a catalyst in order to change and turn away from yourselves and more into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he always gives you another opportunity. So you seek to be honest. Honesty is the first chapter in the book of wisdom, and it starts with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. A false witness that breathes out lies misses the greatest gratification of life, which is living a full life in the commandments of God. Not legalistically, but willingly. However, one that repents, seeking trustworthy and honest, he experiences God's nearness and presence. And that's where we get this thing called peace. Those of you who are gathered here this morning, if you are finding yourself restless... And you are thinking to yourself as you wake up in the morning or even right now as you're sitting in the pew, if you are restless and you have no peace inside of your heart, would you allow the Holy Spirit to come and do a mighty work in your life and see where you're off? Because the biggest thing that we know as human beings and the biggest lie that we tell ourselves, the biggest false witness that we have is when we tell ourselves we're okay by ourselves. That's one of the things that the devil wants you to believe. And we are not okay by ourselves. We need something else. That's where Jesus, with the blood on the cross that was shed for my sin and your sin, comes in. And that is a, sa- that is a saving grace. When you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord, you receive the truth. So maybe for you this morning, it's coming to Jesus for the first time. You've been lying to yourself that you're okay. And you're sitting here and you're saying to yourself, you know what, I need, to, I need to confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I need to do that. That's the starting blocks of the faith. And maybe some of us in the battle with the flesh, the second thing is that we've been lying to ourselves about what's really going on within ourselves. And we've been replacing some of the truth with some of the things of this world. And maybe God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is stirring up inside of you something that has to change. And the crazy thing about the Christian life is, I don't know it, you do. So I would love to point to specific examples this morning and be like, hey, just do this. Here's the five things that you do. Go out and, you know, tip your waitress and, you know, be good people. But that's not what it's about. 
Because God is working on each and every single one of us, slowly chipping away until we conform more to the image of Christ. And it's only in Jesus' presence when we stop lying to ourselves and start getting serious about our relationship with Jesus, we realize how much there is joy in the presence of the Creator. If you were to take a note, look at David. He does this in the Psalms over and over and over again. He's high and he's low. He's high and he's low. And he's high and he's low. The times when he's low, if you would really be honest about it, he's lying to himself. He's like, I'm doing okay. Everything's great. The times when he's high is he's honest with his Savior. And he's allowing him to speak to him according to his word. Satisfied heart. You keep relying on God and his promises, looking away from the devil and his plan for destruction while looking ahead to the eternal promises that are in the text. If we were to remain fully repentant, there is so much discernment and wisdom in that. You want to be smart? So much discernment with one who repents leads to the minds of Christ. Search your heart. Do not associate with or be a false witness that breathes out lies. But remember, it's not just the outside appearance that the Lord sees, but he sees your heart and your attitude. Where you are right now in the work that needs to be done. We're going to move into communion here this morning. And it's an awesome opportunity that we have to do this. Because what's going to happen is we're going to give you the opportunity to search your heart. And see where you're at. Have you ever confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? The Bible tells us that the Lord's Supper is specifically for believers, those who have done that. Because what we're doing is we're observing Christ's body and his blood that was shed. The study of the Lord's Supper is an experience that has deep meaning. And we want to explain it to you this morning. It comes from an old celebration of Passover on the eve of Jesus' death, where he instituted a Christian ordinance, a fellowship meal, that we observe even to this day. It's an integral part of our Christian worship because it causes us to stop, to pause, and to remember our Lord's death and resurrection, to look at the truth. We not only look to the truth of Scripture, but we also through God's awesome promises, look to the future. When we as Christians participate in the Lord's Supper, we are anticipating that he will come back again soon. The Passover was one of the most sacred feasts in the Jewish religious year. It commemorated the final plague on Egypt with the firstborn of the Egyptians died. And the Israelites in the Old Testament were spared because of the blood of the lamb that was sprinkled on their doorsteps. The lamb, when then roasted and then eaten with unleavened bread, God commanded that that be done from generation to generation to generation. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 12, but it comes all the way to fruition when we get to Jesus, who sits down with his disciples. During the Last Supper, which was at Passover, that Exodus 12 experience, Jesus takes a loaf of bread, he gives thanks to God. And it's amazing to me, because this is a side note, notice Jesus prays for his food. Okay. He, Jesus says, this is my body, which was given to you, and you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which was poured out for you. Have you received the blood of Jesus? 
if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he alone is Lord. It's the starting blocks of the faith. It's what we are about as a church. Community gospel. Jesus said, this is the cup of my new covenant with blood which was poured out for you. He concluded the feast. They sang a hymn, probably not one that we sing today, probably something from the Old Testament. And they went out into the night to the Mount of Olives. And there Jesus was betrayed, like you know, by Judas. And then he was crucified. Well, then all of a sudden you see some of the texts from Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and it continues. And Paul has some stuff to say. The accounts of the Lord's Supper are in Matthew, like I said, in Mark and Luke and John. But Paul writes concerning the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians, which is a letter to the church, and not just to the church of Corinth, it is a, church, is a letter to the church of community gospel. And he says, Therefore, whenever one eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to, ready? Examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Why? First and foremost, if he has received Jesus Christ, two, he should examine himself to make sure that he is not lying to himself. Therefore, whoever eats of the bread and drinks of the cup should examine himself. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So we ask what that means. It means to disregard the true meaning of the bread and the cup and to forget the tremendous price of our Savior who he paid at salvation. Or to become dead and formal. This is why we don't do communion every single week. We pause for a second at times where we are saying we need to take a moment and come back and reflect on who we are, why we exist, and what we're really truly all about internally, which is what we're going to do today. Paul's instruction is that you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking of the cup. Paul doesn't quit, though. Another statement Paul makes says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It places a time limit on the ceremony. In other words, we're, the last time we take the Lord's Supper is when we're with him in eternity. And he calls us home. So, <clears throat> for these accounts, we learn how Jesus used Two of the frailest elements as symbols of his body and his blood. And he initiates them to be a monument to his death. He declared that the bread spoke of his body, which should be broken. And it's, it's amazing. If you study scripture and the text, you realize not a bone in Jesus' body was broken until after he died. They busted up his legs. But it was, it was broken. His flesh was broken so that the blood poured out. It was hardly recognizable. A terrible death. Perfect Son of God became a fulfillment of the countless Old Testament prophecies concerning a Redeemer. And when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he indicated that it would be continued into the future. The new covenant replaced the old covenant when Christ the Passover lamb was sacrificed. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament was that when you sinned, you took an animal to the temple and you killed it because that blood was a temporary sacrifice for your sins. 
In the New Testament, Jesus' sin, or Jesus' blood covers your sin. Excuse me. Where are you at this morning? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was Lord. If you've done that, you're allowed to participate this morning in the communion. And I would ask before that we start that you take a moment and examine yourself. And see where you're at in your life. Are you on point with those two things? Making the gospel known, clearly preaching and teaching it to those who are lost. And two, edifying or building up the body of believers, which is the church. Is your desire to build up the church? Is your motive true? Evaluate that. I'm going to have the guys who are coming up to serve communion um, do that in just a second, but let's pray. Father God, here we are, here we sit, here I stand. And we know that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, each and every single one of us. We've missed your mark, we have lied to ourselves. We've said that our way is better than your way, and that's not true. And those of you who are gathered here this morning, the simplicity and beauty of the gospel is what Romans declares. That if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. For Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. He did not come into the world to condemn you He came into the world to save you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever, that's you and me, would believe in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. The Bible says, for I send a new one after me, one that will dwell within you, a Holy Spirit. He will be a guide and a counselor for the rest of your life here on earth, as well as the opportunity for you to be forever with me in eternity. Have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? If you're sitting here this morning and you've never done that, now is that chance, now is that time, now is that opportunity. It's as simple as praying for the first time in your life. God, I know I'm a sinner. I understand that. I repent of myself. And I accept you as Savior. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that you are Lord. If you made that decision, you get to participate in the remembrance of the body of Christ that was broken and the blood that was shed. Nothing magically happens here. When we give out the elements, it's just a symbolic representation of what has happened long ago. And for those of us here who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've confessed and we believed that he alone is Lord of our life. Would you evaluate yourself right now? And while you are in a struggle with the flesh that hangs on you, take a moment to confess your sins to the Lord. We know those sins are forgiven. We understand it. But we still repent of ourselves. God, forgive me for the ways that I have done you a disservice. It's something as simple as that. Lord Jesus, help me 
to proclaim your name to those who are lost. Help me to build up, to not be a false witness, one that loves lies to my brothers and sisters who are around me. Help me to encourage, to realize how important that is to build up your body. Give me a new opportunity today, God, as I participate in the Lord's Supper. As I remember the fact that you came and look forward with great anticipation to the fact that you will come again. As the old hymn says, create in me a clean heart, God, and renew a right spirit within us. May we be your church. May we be your bride. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab. 